and welcome back. Uh, we are getting ready to go here for episode number eight. Uh, but before we get started here, uh, Armin and I, we called our shot. It's happening. Uh, <laughs> Zach Strong is back and he is with us for good. We, uh, like we mentioned in the previous comments, we, uh, we said we wanted him from day one and uh, we knew as soon as we get him on as a special guest, he'd be hooked. And, and look at that. Guess who's back? Back again. Zach Strong. Zach Strong is back. What's going on, Zach? Happy to be here. Happy to be part of the team. Um, last week, listening to the first pod after I was on for the two in a row, I was like, oh, I miss you guys. <laughs> There's times where I was stuck in traffic and I'm like, oh, I would, I want to jump in right now. That's, I want to argue that point. So happy to be back. Happy to be here. Go. Thank you guys so much. He, uh, he fires in the group chat. We have a side little group chat where we just talk about fantasy football. Now, obviously, it's our podcast group chat, but he fires in there about, oh, man, I wanted to talk about Adam Troutman so bad because <laughs> the funny thing was, was at, uh, Zach actually was going after Troutman in our home league first, and then I swooped in, snaked him, <laughs> got Troutman, and, <laughs> and Zach's like, oh, man, I would have had something to say. So I was like, okay, we'll save it for the pod. We can talk about it after how I, how I snaked you getting uh, my, my tight end sleeper, but yeah, we're real happy to have you on, Zach. Like we mentioned, when we started this thing, this was the three we wanted and and a little little bit late, but better late than never. So now we're moving forward with the three wanted and and we're full full go ahead now. So uh, now we've met talk about Zach. We might as well throw it to other hosts. Armin, Arm, what's new and exciting? Oh, you know, just uh, with spring here, built a planter box recently, ready to grow some plants and have some vegetables. Right on. Yeah, let's go. And right happy on. to have Zach here. <laughs> ecstatic let's go absolutely <laughs> um man talking about spring weather i got a nice little burn on me yesterday i spent about six and a half hours pressure washing my entire house we had some cold weather for a bit there the classic saskatchewan it's cold just kidding now it's hot just kidding <laughs> cold again but uh man hopefully this warm weather is here to stay but it's uh it's that time of year so i'm pretty pretty excited um I guess uh, just kind of quickly graze over this. We're with this episode. Uh, we're we're pretty pumped for this one, but we have a special guest. We're we're having our very first interview uh, with Brian Witherspoon, Super Bowl champion. So we're real happy with that. Yeah. But with uh, with how this interview is, it's a little bit longer. Um, so we're going to be able to just kind of changing the episode up a little bit this week. Uh, so we'll still go through our insiders and headliners. Uh, but we're going to be getting rid of keep trade cut. And we're also going to be, uh, we're not be doing our hot takes. Our hot take is that this interview is freaking deadly and you guys are going to enjoy it. So <laughs> that's our hot take of the week. Um, but just with the length of the interview, we're just going to keep it short and sweet, just interview and then just keep you guys in the loop of the, what's going on in the NFL. Uh, and then next week we'll be back at it with the, uh, with the full go keep trade cut insiders, headliners, um, off season segments, hot takes, all, all the, all the regular, the regular episode content. So, I guess with that being said, we might as well get into the insiders and headliners, and then we'll, we'll queue up the old interviews. So um, first piece of information for insiders and headliners, uh, this is a tough one from a busy backfield to what we kind of figured was probably the RB2 in that backfield. Jeff Wilson Jr. Uh, tearing his meniscus, probably out for four to six months. Um, I did a, a little bit of research there, and they mentioned that in the meniscus tears, especially in running backs, the it's more towards the latter end than the earlier recovery so we're thinking probably close to six months which is obviously putting a good chunk of the uh of the fantasy season in jeopardy for for jeff wilson but what do we uh what do we think about that injury there fellas um so 
when I re- read the how long he was out for for a meniscus tear, four to six months, it sounded long to me at first because um, from my experience, I remember like working with uh, Huskies here and meniscus tears, they're not infrequent. They they happen probably once or twice a year on on a team and it was usually a, a few weeks kind of thing that they'd be back for. Um, it, they could be out for maybe half the, the college season in, in the U sports here, which is like only like, I think they only play eight games and then they go to playoffs. Right. Um, so it seemed kind of funny to me that Torn in June beginning or end of May here, and he'd be gone for that long. And so I looked at it and they can't just go in and scope him it's there he completely tore it and they have to rebuild the meniscus and that's why it's such a long recovery for a meniscus with him which is too bad but uh i'm not concerned about his future ability because meniscus tends to um heal quite well and he can perform quite well um after the fact um it's a very easy to come back from injury but i am worried about his spot in that uh that backfield when he does come back because that is a full backfield and he's going to be behind a little bit. Oh, and I just, uh, I picked him up last year on waiver wires and I was, I was like, Oh yeah, let's go. Let's go. And now it's uh shoot. Yeah. I guess talking about that busy backfield, Zach, who's your, who's your guy? Obviously we still think most is probably the guy to start, but if you had to peg now the number two, that may be the sleeper pick to kind of going into the season, who's the guy that you're probably going to be targeting? If I have to target one guy out of that backfield, it'll probably be the the cheapest guy in in the draft or whoever, you know, slot slips through our draft and ends up as a as a waiver wire pickup. Like looking at their depth chart, there's there's still Hasty there, Mostert, uh, Mitchell, Sermon, and they signed Gallman uh, pre-draft. So to invest heavily into one of those guys, I think that might be a mistake because there's four or five guys that could potentially win that job. So I think the smart play would be to just wait and whoever falls to the latter part of the draft or whoever makes it to the waiver wire, if you want to be part of that backfield, uh, maybe that's your, your shot to take a chance. Absolutely. Um, so continuing on the way here, obviously we, uh, we, we started recording on Mondays just because, uh, Armin and I coach football here in Prince Albert on Tuesday. So it just kind of was a tight turnaround for us to record edit and, and be coaching for a couple hours on that Tuesday. So now today, as we're recording, it's May 31st, tomorrow is the first opportunity for Julio Jones to get signed. Um, there's a lot of buzz right now about where he's going to go. <laughs> I think they've listed off 15 teams that are in the running right now. So it seems like. Every, every single article you look at, it's like, oh, these, this team's a favorite. No, this team's a favorite. Now this team's got a good offer. And so right now there is no, I don't think there is a clear cut team that is saying, hey, we're, we're the team that's going to get Julio. So um, Julio, he came in that interview. I don't know if he knew he was, was uh-huh. being, being recorded or whatever at that moment, but man, he, he threw the, uh, he threw the Falcons under the bus, but I guess right now, we might know when this, when this interview drops or when this podcast drops, sorry, we might know actually where Julio is, but if we had to take our best guess right now, you guys, where do you think he's going? I guess we'll go Zach first. Where do you think if you had to take your best guess right now, Julio Jones is being traded to blank. I got to say, um, I'm a big Pats fan and 
for about a, the last week, uh, Patriots Twitter has just had rumors and speculation that he's coming to the Pats. Um, but uh, the GM there in Atlanta has done a good job, I think, of pumping the rumor mill, getting teams, uh, whether or not it's real, getting teams listed as suitors. Um, obviously, he would help the Pats, but if the, if the price to pay is that first-round pick, I want nothing to do with that mm-hmm. um, for a 32-year-old receiver. Uh, we'll likely have to redo that contract anyways when he gets to New England or where, wherever he gets to. Um, so for, for fantasy, I would like to see him go to, I guess, Tennessee would be a good spot. Yeah, my A.J. Brown stock is uh, disagreeing on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Armin, where do you think? Where do you think he's going to uh, You know what? I'm actually opposite of Zach here, and I'm actually – I'm. I'm feeling the pats for it. Um, you know, they were trying to desperately load up the receiving core, fix it up a bit. And what better way to fix it up than Julio Jones? Um, he was injured a bit last year. That age was starting to show with that hamstring injury. But when he played, he still looked elite. And he can come, he comes into that pats offense and he's immediately the number one. There's no second guessing it. And Cam Newton to Julio Jones, who wouldn't love to hear that? Are we playing it like, yeah. <laughs> I'm just going to say 2015 Zach would be yeah. walking around with a dumb grin on his face. Yeah, uh, but you know, who who knows? Maybe they can run it back. You know, yeah. but, I'm a uh, man. There's been some like all of a sudden the Seahawks came out of nowhere and they're speculated and San Francisco speculate. Everybody's like, oh yeah. Pittsburgh is like, yeah, we got enough receivers, but I would love to have. And it's like, well, yeah, everybody would love to have Julio Jones. But I, I think taking a shot in the dark, I said this from, from get-go, I think the best fit for him, not only to be successful, but I think for fantasy as well, I think the Indianapolis Colts, there hasn't been a lot of lot of reports that they were in. Like on the start, they were like, okay, the Colts could be a team. And there's not been a lot of reports saying that the Colts are front runners, the Colts will put offers. But I think all of a sudden come day, like come uh, June 1st, I think the Colts might put it because they have the cap space. They have the receiving room that would all of a sudden take a questionable one, two to make a real competent two, three. Uh, I, and well, T.I. Hilton, he's old and he's kind of doing his thing too. So I guess you can make a, a competent three, four, I guess, where T.Y. could be the two in the field stretcher in that situation and, and Julio could be Julio. Um, I mean, you want to know if Wentz is the guy, well, load him up and if he, if he struggles, then, then you know what you got to do. So I, I think the Colts could be a pretty good, uh, pretty good landing spot for them, not only for fantasy, but I think for Julio as well too. So I guess we'll see once this pod drops, we might already know, but we'll see, uh, we'll see who's in that, uh, who we'll see who kind of in the right in that situation. Um, going through a couple, a couple quick ones here. Uh, Todd Gurley's visiting Detroit. I don't know. I, I does it. I'm not excited about it. Like it's already. Like, we already have our guy. We have Swift. We pick up Jamal. I don't know why we need to get Gurley too. Other than maybe just making that 2018 uh, wonder season and connecting golf with with Gurley again. I don't know. But maybe unless they think they can get him on the cheap and his knees is spontaneously gonna fix themselves. I don't know. But <laughs> nothing too exciting there. But Corey Davis uh, hurt his shoulders in OTAs. Uh, they're they're kind of doing a little more. Uh, a little more digging on it. There's no no update as of yet, uh, but hopefully he's uh, he's healthy and ready to go start the season. But it sounded like he went up for a ball and kind of fell awkwardly on his shoulder. So so hopefully he's good to go there. It's a little bit of tough news from the for the Jets, especially. I actually think that's a that's a big one. I, I think or not a big one, but yeah, 
it's worth keeping an eye on. Like absolutely. You got Zach Wilson coming in as your your QB one. Um, you want him to have as much time and as many reps as possible with the receivers that he's gonna be playing with. And if you look at that receiver room, um, like there's there's Mims returning from last year, there's Mitchell, and there is or more, pardon me, there's more, and there's Davis. Uh there's rumors circulating that Crowder could be cut as early as tomorrow. Same deal with uh with Julio Jones there. That June 1st designation makes it a lot cheaper for teams to cut players. So if Crowder's gone, then those are your, your clear-cut top three guys. And if Davis misses any amount of time, it's obviously not good for, for the Jets, for Zach Wilson, or for, for Davis's uh, fantasy stock. Well, yeah, because you're making that connection with the other receivers. All of a sudden, you're the outside guy looking in, and yeah, it's, yeah. Not a, not, it's a tough situation, especially for a guy that kind of had a slow start to his career and finally picked it up a little bit in Tennessee. You're looking to maybe get your big break, and unfortunately – Going down in OTAs is not a good situation. Um, Aaron Rodgers, Saga continues. They just finished saying, GM mentioned that they will not trade him. So it's the cat and mouse game again. I mean, it seems like everybody's talking about, is he going to retire? Is he going to go Jeopardy? Is he gonna, I mean, as of right now, I don't think he's concerned too much about that. He's living his best life in Hawaii right now, jumping off cliffs and hanging out with his wife and Miles Teller. It looks like he's having a pretty good time. But I guess at, at this moment, um, if you had to give a percentage value, what do you guys think? Is he, is he going to be a Pat next year? Uh, sorry, Pat. Is he going to be a Packer next year? Uh, give me a, give me a percentage there. We'll start with Armin. What do you think? Percentage wise, what's your confidence level of him still being a Packer start of next season? Oh, that is a tough one. Uh, we're going to go with, I'm going to say 30%, 30, 32.1%. Precise. <laughs> 32 percent that he's that he is a packer armin yeah that he is a packer oof it's pretty low um i i don't know probably like a like a 70 percent chance oh, so you're all in he's still there i th- i think so um i don't know like again it's kind of like what the the falcons are doing with julio there they don't exactly have a lot of uh, like negotiating power. I don't think like everybody in the world knows that Rogers wants out, but I think they might just be so stubborn that they just hold on to him. Yeah. It's, it's a tough situation. I think I'm going to go 50, 50 because it's not only the chat, like opportunity of him being traded, but we talked about it before how stubborn he is. I mean, he's got to like, I just, I just heard a, I just heard a rumor that he could be like 10 to 20, um, million to be the Jeopardy host or something like that. It was like some astronomical amount of money to be the Jeopardy host for some, I, I can't remember. It, it was something ridiculous. So it was like, if that's the case, he's looking for money, which I don't even know if he is because he's already made a pretty penny. But if that's the situation, then it sounds pretty good to me to be the Jeopardy host, go go to Hawaii every once in a while and live your best life and save your body. But he is pretty stubborn. He's, he's won everything already. So I'm going to give it a 50-50 coin flip it. I mean, there's lots of variables to be traded. He could retire, but he also could still be destroying the Lions and the Vikings like we yeah. were experiencing for too many years. So who really knows? But it's uh, it's a, an interesting one. And once again, we'll just keep kind of keep, keep paying attention. Last thing here before we get to the interview, uh, Armand, <laughs> I sent you the video. I mean, you guys fluked out last year with getting Jefferson when Philly kind of botched that uh, that draft pick. But 
like I felt free immediately when I sent that video. It was it was the Vikings or so not the Vikings. It was the Carolina Panthers draft room when they were about to make their pick and they were looking for offers for their pick. And the Vikings were trying to trade up and it was four fields was the was the report. And they obviously didn't give them a good enough offer and and Carolina made their draft pick and went corner. But oh man, that was we were watching it together. You were pretty hyped up. You thought for sure they were getting them. You thought maybe they're just going to keep sliding, keep sliding, and then no dice, no fields. And uh, now you guys end up taking a third-round draft pick and kept going. And in, in true Vikings fashion, you're like, nope, cut them, cut them. We're moving with fields. I wanted them. <laughs> true true yeah. Vikings fashion. But, oh, man, what, your draft experience would have been totally different at that point if that was the oh, case. So much more different. You know, um, not that I hate Cousins, like he he's serviceable, he but he's not worth what they're paying him. He's not just gonna read on his tombstone. Yeah. <laughs> serviceable. <laughs> yeah, he's not elite, you know, like he's he's good, good enough to get you to the playoffs, I guess. I don't know. But like and we all three of us are super high on fields going into the draft here too. If he would have went Vikings, oh that would have been way better than Chicago. You know, like I'm speaking as a Vikings fan, but right, they got a pretty good offense, and you put Justin Fields in there, and that would be pretty spectacular. And our defense was terrible last year, but I have faith in Zimmer that our defense is going to be top notch again this year. Um, Just COVID year, kind of funky with with everything, right? So. You know, put Justin Fields on a team that that has that offense that the Vikings have, and then has the potential with the Zimmer effect on defense to to have a great defense. Oh, I would have been so excited going into the season. Now I'm just going into another season, being like, "Oh, let's hope Cousins can do something." <laughs> yeah, the good news is you still get to watch him twice a year, so. <laughs> <laughs> It's interesting though, like they, they tried going from what were they 14 overall, right? Yeah, yes, yeah. They tried going from 14 to eight. So when when that didn't work out, they still had a shot with nine and ten, right? Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I wonder if if their offer was you know as enticing as those teams thought it was like were they just trying to be like oh like you don't like anybody well we'll do you the solid we'll give you a second pick and we can both be happy about it yeah that's probably what they were doing where where other teams are willing to pay the bag but they should have paid the bag (laughs) (laughs) oh man spoken like a true vikings fan just a revolving door at q it wouldn't be yeah, locked and loaded franchise guy, Armin Schellenberg, making the stand right now. Yeah. Um, any last comments here uh, about insiders and headliners, fellas, before we throw it to this interview? I'm pretty pretty excited for this one, boys. I, I know uh, we talked about it a little bit already, but, uh, oh, man, it's uh, it's a pretty good interview. So, Well, let's, let's get her going then. Let's get her going. Okay, well, this offseason segment uh, is an interview with Brian Witherspoon, New York Giant, uh, Super Bowl 46 champion. Let's throw it over there. All right, everyone. Uh, today's a pretty exciting day for us here, uh, for us hosts. Uh, we're doing our very first interview. 
Uh, we're, and I would say we're setting the bar pretty high with our first one for uh, moving forward for anybody, any guests we have coming on after here. Uh, but I'd like to welcome to the 306 Fantasy Football Podcast, former NFL cornerback, special teams returner, NCAA Div 2 All-American, U.S. Nationals 100-meter and 200-meter sprinter, and Super Bowl 46 champion, Brian Witherspoon. Brian, first of all, thanks for coming on, and, and how are we doing today? Oh, man, thanks for having me. Uh, doing doing very well. You know, it's the NBA playoffs. I'm definitely a, I'm a huge sports fan all around, so, you know, I got a lot to look forward to uh, after this. But, you know, thanks for having me on, guys. I uh, really appreciate it. Oh, no. <laughs> the uh, the pleasure is all ours. Little little backstory. <laughs> me and Armin, when we were starting to kickstart this podcast up, I think one of us had said, you know, be kind of cool to get some interviews on. I think that'd be pretty sweet. And I think some people would enjoy that. And we kind of went back and forth. And I said, you know, man, like, I think if we got a, a Super Bowl champion on, we could probably shut the podcast down. Well, we're pretty happy there. But this is episode eight. I don't think we're going to fire it down too soon here. But yeah, we're, we're definitely pretty excited to have you on and, and definitely hear not only your story, but uh, hear uh, some stories you can share about your NFL experience and obviously post NFL experience going to the track world and then obviously post football world too and what keeps you busy now. So um, I guess we'll start it off. So uh, born in Butler, Alabama, and then went to high school in Choctaw County High School in Butler as well. Uh, so like, what was, what was like, uh, what was your life coming up with football? Did you start right away or was it like uh, right away in high school, you kind of got it going or how did you, how did you get yourself involved with football? Man, you know, my family was a big Alabama fan and coming up around the time I was, you know, just getting into football, it was all about the Crimson Tide. You know, I was a big David Palmer fan. Uh, my granddad was a big David Palmer fan and, you know, Derry Elastic and honestly, you know, my, my granddad kind of, you know, gave me the, uh, the push to kind of get into football, my granddad and my uncle. So we started out inviting all, you know, my cousins and stuff down and, you know, just friends from school. We would all play football in front of my, in my grandma's yard. You know, sometimes we didn't have a football, so we would even use like a deflated basketball and, you know, just go in the yard and kind of throw it around. So, you know, that's when, that's when the football started for me. So pretty young. So then uh, a lot of success in the high school career right off the hop, or was it kind of later into your college career we started getting a lot of success? Um, you know what? Uh, actually, when I was in high school, I didn't really – I wasn't – you know, for some reason I, I just wasn't really feeling football anymore in high school. You know, I played obviously my first two years. My junior year, I didn't play at all. You know, I didn't want to play. So I, I didn't play football my junior year. I didn't play any sports my junior year of high school. My senior year, that's when I started focusing on more so like, you know, what am I going to do? I need to go to college. I don't want to, you know, be down here, um, you know, just stand in the same place, kind of mimicking what everybody else was doing in my family. You know, no disrespect to them, but I just kind of had a different mindset. I just can't be here. You know, I got to I got to leave. I got to do something. Um, you know, I don't want to go back and just work in a factory like everybody else. So that's when I really kind of started taking football serious. Um, and I saw that it could kind of, you know, help me out a little bit because, you know, man, I know we kind of skipped over this, but like I was actually a huge baseball guy. Oh, yeah. You know, growing up. Yeah. <laughs> so I was a huge baseball guy. I played a lot of baseball, you know, peewee baseball, high school baseball. Uh, I would say baseball was more so my first love. So football is just something I played because I was good at it. And like, you know, my granddad and my uncle kind of pushed me to it, but it was more so like baseball for me. But yeah, I would say I kind of started getting looked at my senior year of high school. 
So when did you make that transition then from ball to focus predominantly on football or did you still do both? Did you still do ball and football and, but then college was the, was the football or did you, when did you make that transition? Uh, you know, for me, it was, it was, it was, I was heavy baseball. Like I said, I played peewee football. I, I was, like I said, I was good at it. Even like my first, because my first year as a high school, man, I didn't, I didn't really play. Uh, the guys were a lot more, I, I hit a growth spurt late. So that's why, you know, the growth spurt didn't really matter in baseball, but like, you know, for football, you, you know, it definitely matters. So I hit a growth spurt late. So that's kind of what I focused more so on baseball coming up. But, you know, when I got to college um, and I realized that I, you know, I could, I could actually play, I started, you know, focusing more on, on football and, and track and field actually, but I definitely focused more on football because I realized that I actually had an opportunity to kind of, you know, do some more things. Absolutely. So you mentioned college there where you end up going to Stillman College uh, in mm -hmm. Tus Tuscaloosa. So about an hour and a half ish drive from Butler. So nice and close to home, which is, which is nice. So uh, and you found quite a bit of success there. Uh, obviously, in 2007, you were named the Div 2 All-American. Uh, so found obviously yourself some personal success and your team did quite well, too, as a seven and four season, which was one of the more successful seasons they had uh for the college so maybe you want to run us through a little bit of that 07 season <laughs> man you know the funny thing was that that year we had a lot of guys and I had because like I went I started out at Alabama State University actually before I went to Stillman so I ended up transferring to Stillman so I was at a division one double a school um you know didn't uh it, you know I say it was still close to home about two hours away from home but really wasn't feeling it so decided to transfer and, you know, I spoke to one of my friends who, uh, Chandler Blakely, who was already at Stillman College, who was doing pretty well. And he was like, yeah, man, you know, I talked to the coach, you know, come on now. You know, so I transferred to Stillman. So I got there, like I said, had, a, you know, had a little success. And, man, it just, it just kind of took off from there, man. I just, I worked hard. Uh, it was a lot of guys that, you know, kind of had like the same mindset. We were trying to do bigger things. The funny thing about that, and I tell everybody this to this day, like we used to go across the street, you know, because University of Alabama was like five minutes away. So we used to always say across the street. And we used to whoop these guys' ass in 707. <laughs> like no, no lie. So like a lot of the guys on our team were like former division one athletes. So like we were like legit, like legit athletes. So like we were like getting it. Um and, you know, used to always, you know, we used to go to parties and stuff. They used to talk noise. They're like, ah, oh, you guys go to Stillman College, you know, you D2. Like, you know, y'all y'all don't go to UA. Man, we used to go across that street and whoop those guys' butt, man, in 707. <laughs> and that's when it really kind of got started because, you know, like, we was going, like, and, you know, that's kind of what helped us do better that season. We was like, yo, like, we pretty good. Like, we some pretty good athletes. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of how that kind of helped us. I know it was like, it's only seven and four, but, like, yo, we realized that we were some actually like some legit athletes. Yeah, roll roll um, tight him at that point. Yeah, yeah, we was killing those guys. <laughs> <laughs> That's unreal. Yeah. All right. So you, you entered the draft for 2008. Um, you measured in at 6'1", 195, 422, 40 yard dash, and that that was a combined result then. You know, that was so my coach. And at Stillman College was a big, he was a, a guy that had a lot of connections. He started out at Morris Brown College that was in Atlanta, Georgia, which was very uh, popular back then. Uh, very popular college. He had a lot of connections. So 
he saw me and uh, my best friend at the time, Denate Heard, and he was like, yo, there's no way you guys shouldn't get a shot. Like, the way I see you guys move down the field in that practice, he was like, you know, I need to just make a couple phone calls to get you, get you guys looked at. So he made a phone call, and two scouts came. I was one from the Jacksonville Jaguars and one from the Philadelphia Eagles. So they gave us a junior pro day. Right. So we came out, like, my junior year. They timed us in the 40. They gave us three opportunities to run a piece. We did some drills, but they really wanted to check out our 40. So, man, I dropped that 422 <laughs> at that junior pro day. <laughs> yeah, that'll do it. I dropped that, yeah, I dropped that 422 at that junior pro day, man. It was kind of all she wrote from there. Like after that, there were uh, scouts coming to see us practice every week. So wow. that's kind of how that started. Nice. That's, that's, that's incredibly impressive. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, that year when uh the, the year I came out like it was Simeon Castile, DJ Hall, um who else was big at Alabama back then? Like LaRon McClain. But for the most part at my position it was like it was D, like Simeon Castile was like the the talked about like world's best corner in the SEC, which was really I'm not gonna say it was funny, but he ended up not getting drafted. Like I said, man, it was like we had scouts coming to like watch our practice film and game film, and they was like, "You guys are better than the guys across the street at University of Alabama." They're just playing on TV every week. Yeah. So after that uh, that pro day, I guess you started picking up some traction. And how was the whole process leading up to the draft then for you? The experience there. Yeah, it was pretty stressful actually. I don't think I know a lot of guys probably don't mention that, but it was pretty stressful. So, like I left school in the spring and I went, I left in, well, actually I left for the spring, but I actually left Alabama in December. I moved to uh, New Jersey and I was training at Joe DeFranco's. I don't know if you guys ever heard of Joe DeFranco, but he was a big guy in New Jersey at the time. I think he's in Texas now. So I left up there. I left to go up there, moved to New Jersey. It was called Saddle River. I'll never forget that. Saddle River, New Jersey. And it was cool at first. Like it was, it was definitely cool. Like, you know, you, like I said, you're, you're excited for the experience and you're thankful for the opportunity. But uh, those were probably like the longest three, four months that I've ever experienced before in my life. You know, being that was my first time like being away from home home for that long and kind of, you know, just being isolated, you know, especially being in a new environment, like being up there, like, you know, New Jersey, New York. I met some great guys that I'm still cool with to this day. But it was definitely uh it was definitely a it was a great experience like I said I got to meet Joe I see like you know Brian Cushing like that's who that's where he trained so you know uh, I got to hear stories about Brian Cushing I saw all you know the records that he set there on the wall um I kind of set my own records that are still up there to this day um he took the Texas with him and it was fun man uh and that's when you really kind of saw like who really wanted it you know, like, oh, you know, this is what it takes to kind of, you know, get to the next level. Like, you got to come up here and push your body every day. And then when I was up there, I got invited to two all-star games. So I got invited to the, uh, the Hula Bowl. So I ended up going to the Hula Bowl while I was there. And I, I got invited to the East. I think it was the, so, uh, no, it was the North-South, North-South Bowl. I don't think they have that anymore, but it was the North-South Bowl. And I ended up not going. I was just like, yo, I'm, I'm tired. Like, I train 24-7. Like, I'm, I only get one day off a week. I don't, I'm good. So I played in my all-star game, the hula bowl with a lot of other D1, division one guys. And I was cool. Like I said, experience was great, but I, I did definitely burnt me out. That draft process definitely burnt me out. 
Um, so moving across the country and putting in insane amount of work, um, for all that to add up and then unfortunately not getting drafted, um, was that a little disheartening for you? You know, honestly, I never even expected to get drafted anyway. So it wasn't, it wasn't a complete shock. I didn't expect to get drafted. You know, even when scouts was coming in, it's like, hey, you know, you guys are, are good athletes. You're a Division two school. Unfortunately, you know, you probably won't get drafted. Like, and that's what they, they kept it real. They was like, yo, you, unfortunately, you probably won't get drafted. You'll definitely get an a invite. You'll definitely get signed the same day. But you probably won't get drafted. And that's what happened. Like, I didn't get drafted. But I was getting calls throughout the entire draft. And, you know, I, honestly, I think it was my fault. I, if I would have played it a lot better, and kind of told those guys, like, oh, yeah, you know, such and such just called me. They said they're going to take me in, like, you know, the fourth, fifth round. Like, I see a lot of guys do. I probably could have definitely got drafted because I got calls from, like, Oakland, Pittsburgh, Minnesota, San Diego. Uh, Jacksonville blew me up the entire draft. Um, Washington. I probably could have – if I would have played my cards right, I definitely probably could at least went, like, fifth, sixth round. But – me not knowing it, but I was like, oh, yeah, you know, nobody, you know, only a couple teams have, you know, reached out. No one said they were going to draft me yet. You know, like, I was just being like this little humble kid, didn't really know. But if I would have played my cards, I probably could have definitely, like, kind of forced a hand and someone would have drafted me, but I didn't. But, you know, like I said, right after the draft, Jacksonville sent me a contract like, hey, we want you here. This is the signing bonus we'll give you. Please come. So um, they sent me a contract. Tampa Bay called me. Oakland called me right after the draft and tried to get me to come. And I ended up took a look at the roster and see if I was going and just kind of like examining the bit. And I was like, oh, you know, if I go to Jacksonville, I got a real shot at actually playing as a rookie. So I chose Jacksonville. It was nice that they're blowing you up during the draft too a little bit. So obviously yeah. they have that yeah. a serious interest in you. And you know the crazy thing about it, the guy that they drafted in front of me, I got him cut. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, man, Trent Williams from University of South Florida. Yeah, they uh, the DB coach looked like he was like, "Hey, man, I'm trying to get them to draft you, but they're probably gonna go after this kid from South Florida." And he was right; they they got the kid from South Florida, and he said, "I still want you to come here, please come." And that's where I ended up. There you go. Yeah, see, I've often heard um, following the draft, uh, different reporters and different analysts and stuff will say that oftentimes going undrafted is almost preferable to going in that round six or seven range because it gives you that chance to for you to be in the driver's seat and to look at your offers and to look at the depth chart and it sounds like that's that's the experience that you had you looked at the yeah, depth sure. chart in Jacksonville and you thought it was a good match yeah for sure if you don't if you don't get drafted after if you don't get drafted in the fourth round you, you're better off. Me personally, outside of the signing bonus, and from my experience, being undrafted would be a good choice because you actually get to kind of just check out like, hey, these guys have only four corners. These guys have six. These guys have seven. If I go here, I'm def I definitely have a shot at playing or making a team. So that's how it worked out for me. So um, did you have an agent going into the draft or – um, were you just kind of on your own there? Well, I had a, I had an agent, um, Eugene Lee. Uh, I think he's at Vanguard now, but at the time he had his own uh, his own agency. Man, me and Eugene are still like family. 
Uh, I consider Eugene like a brother to me. He definitely took me on this wing. And the thing that I liked about Eugene was the fact that he didn't lie to me during the entire draft process. He, he, he was totally honest. He said, hey, man, I'm not going to give you any money. I'm not doing all the things that you see these agents doing. I can't get you into any bowl games. He was like, hey, that's all, that's all determined by your tape. He said, if you get into any all-star games, it's, to- it's on you. It's not on me. I had other agents calling me. And, man, you know what? I think, uh, man, a, a lot of people would be surprised. I had agents that repped some of the top athletes in the NFL, like, coming after me at that particular time. So, But they all sold me the same drink. They all sold me the same line. Like, I can get you this. I can do that. I represent this guy. I represent that guy. Yeah, it just didn't seem genuine to me. So, especially not being a guy like a high draft pick, and definitely, and had the, uh, I was like, yo, man, I'll just be another guy on the totem pole for you, and you know, you're not gonna treat me like I'm one of these first, second round picks. So, I just decided to go with the guy who came in and was just honest from the jump. So after after you signed with Jacksonville, what are those those weeks or those months like leading into the rookie mini camp? into organized team activities. Uh, what is that process like? Uh, it's, it's a sense of excitement. You're nervous. You don't know what to expect. It's, man, it's, uh, it's a bombshell, man. It's kind of like, you know, a bomb being dropped on you. Like you, stuff is just coming from everywhere. The process, well, it was a waiting game. You know, like we don't get the guys who, does, who don't get drafted, you don't get flew out the next day, like the first, second round picks. Like they don't fly you out. Right, <laughs> like you're not holding up the jersey. Yeah, like you don't, you know, you don't get a chance to do that. You know, you you come, you know, when you, when you get there, like when it's time to report for the, before the first day of camp, of OTAs and minicamp. So very fast, very fast pace. You know, they come in, you come in and, you know, they sit you down in the room and, okay, guys. This is what we're doing. This is what we're going to work on. Okay, you got it. Let's go. <laughs> like, you know, it's not, yo, you know, you get there, it's not, oh, okay, so take some time, you know, look over these plays. You know, I'll give you like, you know, 30, 40 minutes to an hour to kind of look over the playbook. Nah, man, like you go into the meeting, it's you and like five, six other guys. They have everything on the board. You introduce yourself, you watch film. They call the plays out after about 10 minutes. Okay, let's go to the field. <laughs> this is, this is like, yeah, like, it's, it's like in practice. Like, you know, it's like, oh, shoot. Like, yeah, we about to go to the field and like, and, and, and go at this. Like, <laughs> this is the NFL sink or swim, yeah, like, basically. This is, the, this is the league. Like, you know, yeah. like, yeah. Then you get in a mini camp, you get a chance to, that was OTA. So you get in a mini camp, you come in, you're going over game, like game situations. They have everything that they want to practice. And there's no going over it two or three times. Okay, this is what we're going to run against 11 personnel. This is what we're going to run against 12 personnel. This is what we might do if they send this guy in motion. We're going to check to this. Uh, if they come out in 21, 22, this is what we're running. And you're like, okay. And after that meeting, you have like a five minute walk through, then you go straight to practice. So like, there's no time for you to sit there and you know, <laughs> what do they say? What did what did coach say do in that pick? Like, nah, man, it's like, 
boom, boom, bada, bing. Like, this is what we, <laughs> this is it. Like, you know, <laughs> you know, that's, that's how they, that's how they separate guys in the NFL. You know, the coaches don't cut guys. Guys cut themselves. Because mm-hmm. it's like, yo, the quicker you can pick up on this, this is how much you, this is how much um, you're showing us that we can trust you. Absolutely. So if you can't pick up on this information that this this quick and you can't formulate this stuff like you're out of here. So a huge mental aspect to that, that oh, yeah. actually making it to the next level there. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. It's, it's, it's all mental, man. I, I say this, you can be the best athlete on the field, but the thing they're going to look at and they're big on this. Every, you know, every team I play with, they have this chart. It says ME like me stand for mental errors. So you definitely don't want to be at the top of the mental errors. Oh, they would rank you guys. Yo, you would come in like, and you're like in a DB room. I know they will look at, okay, this is how many mental errors you have during camp. And you're like, yeah, you want to be low on that chart. I can't, I can't imagine doing that at high school. That's unreal. Um, so then getting yourself into, I guess the, the first season, your first NFL debut, uh, you make that immediate impact in that week one where you average 41.3 yards per kick return and you had 22.5 yards on two punt returns against the Titans in that week one. So what, what was that? What was that feeling like? Kind of, I guess, almost proving everybody wrong. You go as that UDFA and then all of a sudden you step in that week one and, and you're blazing, you're ready to go and you're making that immediate impact. But what was that feeling like? Like you're in the show now and, and, and you're making an impact. Yo, excuse my language, man, but I was hype as fuck. Yo, <laughs> <laughs> Yo like, no, seriously. Like, uh, so I came out during pregame, you know, no one's there. Then the game starts, we come out, we run out the tunnel. And like, yo, the stadium is like rocking. Like it actually felt like the stadium was shaking. So I was like, yo, like this is it. Like, yo, this is the show. Like it's Sunday. Like, um, you know, I'm here. Um, and what you don't see actually, like the first kickoff, the first kickoff I got, I muffed it. Went back, picked it up, and like shook a guy, and then went up the sideline for about 50 yards. <laughs> but like, yo, I muffed it. I was like, oh shit. Like I muffed the like I muffed it, like it went through my like I, it hit my hands and went through my legs. I muffed it like a guy came in too like came in too fast and I ended up like sidestepping and and went up the sideline. But that was definitely uh that definitely got rid of the nerves like yeah. real quick. Yeah. It was a fun game. Well, that's <laughs> a that's a game, roller man. coaster, roller coaster yeah. up to a fifty-one yard return. <laughs> Yeah, I was like, whew. I was like, oh, they about to cut my ass. Yeah. <laughs> That's unreal. Um, so it's kind of skipping through a little bit here. I guess do you have what was your what was one of your favorite memories of being a Jaguar before we move on to some of the latter and latter uh, a little bit of other teams that you were with in the NFL? What was some of your favorite memories of being with the Jaguars? Uh first off, it was making a team. Yeah. You know, making a team was a, a great, a great moment. You know, I made a lot of good I made a lot of good memories in Jacksonville, man. I don't know if you guys watch um, the I Am Athlete podcast, you know, like Fred and Brandon and Ocho, but Fred Taylor, man, I used to watch Fred Taylor when I was on Jacksonville. 
And Fran was a stand-up guy, man, like a real down-to-earth guy. I watched him from a distance, the way he carried himself, the way he handled himself, and he's every bit of what you see on that particular podcast. Another guy I, I was just amazed at was uh, Rasheem Mathis. <laughs> like, I just never seen a guy just walk around and, you know, how you always like, yo, how he do that? Like, that was the first guy I, like, I watched and I was like, yo, how he do that? Like, I saw him, like, catch an interception in practice, like, but with one hand between his legs. I was like, yo, how he, like, <laughs> just make everything look so easy. It's like, yo, how he do that? Um, and, you know, like, I'm friends with uh, Isaiah Gardner. Me and Isaiah are friends to this day. Um, I met my best friend in Jacksonville. We're still friends to this day. She's living out in L.A. now. So I think the best memories of Jacksonville was the relationships I created, just being in a new a new city, uh, a big city on my own. So, yeah, uh, I think, you know, man, just the relationships I made outside of football, definitely, like, in the locker room, but I met a lot of good people outside of football in Jacksonville. Absolutely. Any good stories about uh... – about Justin Durant, his uh, his brother was the quarterback up here for the Rough oh, yeah, Riders for a JD, number of years. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know what? So <clears throat> I remember the first thing uh, JD said to me. We were in a preseason game against Miami, and I had returned a kickoff for about thirty yards, but I fumbled a punt, but I fumbled it, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> He ran back on the field, like we were tired, like he was so tired, he was like, shit, Spoon, I'm tired as hell, but don't worry about that shit, we'll get the ball right back. <laughs> <laughs> that was the first thing he said to me, but like, yeah, oh uh, man, Justin Durant was a, uh, yo, Justin Durant was cool. Like, you know, he went to an HBCU, he went to Howard, so we kind of connected on that, The H, you know, being a part of HBCU, so yeah, man, definitely, I forgot about JD, yeah, JD, JD was a, a great guy. A little bit of Saskatchewan connection there. His yeah. brother is borderline royalty here in Saskatchewan. <laughs> okay. Yeah. yeah. He has uh, own cereal for at least a couple yeah. seasons. Stereos yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, so then, unfortunately, catching a little bit of the injury bug there in Jacksonville, you end up getting waived uh, in December of 2009 and picked up by the Lions. So this, this is where, as you can tell by my hat, the pictures in my background, I'm a big-time Lions guy. So when I saw that, I was like, man, that is so cool. So you, you're in Detroit for, for a little bit there in 09. Um, Detroit, so towards the tail end there in the season, Detroit goes 2-14 and 14 that year. They're not very good. But Matthew Stafford's a rookie. Calvin Johnson's in town. What, what was it like being around those guys? Like, for me, I'm going to fanboy here for a bit because I'm a big-time Lions guy, so anything I can hear about them in that, that locker room, I'm I'm going to relish this opportunity. First off, Jordan, kudos to you for being a fan of the Detroit Lions. <laughs> it's tough. It's real tough. <laughs> kudos to you. That's a very tough situation there. Kudos to you. Um, but, so, you know, actually when I got there, Matt was hurt. So he wasn't playing. I think that's when he messed up his shoulder. Yeah. So he wasn't really playing when I like he wasn't playing when I got there. Calvin was a very humble guy. Man, when I got there, Calvin was probably like my biggest, not like cheerleader per se, but like my biggest supporter when I got there because the special teams was doing so bad. So he was glad to see me come in to kind of help him out as far as like, you know, uh offensive field position. So uh Calvin was a great guy. I remember the first time I guarded him in practice, man, he stepped on my foot and I thought I wasn't going to play the first game. Cause he, like, yo, Calvin has some huge feet. Well, that's a big boy. 
Yeah, and I didn't realize I didn't realize how big he was until I got there. And I was like, damn. I was like, bro, like you sick. I was like, yo, you taller than six five. I was like, <laughs> like you're about six eight. I was like, you got to be about six eight, six seven, six eight. Um, but he was like a humble guy, man, like quiet. Like he never said that he didn't say a lot. He was very quiet. He was always in his corner, you know, with his at his locker in his corner, just kind of just just being observant, looking at everybody. So, you know, no, no crazy stories about Calvin. Um, when I got there, the person, and I'm glad you said that because actually another guy who I played, went to college with, Sammy Hill. Oh, yeah. Had just got, yeah, had just got drafted there from Steelman College. So me and Sammy kind of reunited when I got there. But the, man, the guy who was the most uh, active as far as like personality was Louis Delmas. Oh, yeah. When I got there. The safety, Lewis was uh, he definitely brought a lot of Florida, Miami, Florida with him to the locker room. He's always dancing, always having fun, uh, loud, but loud in a good way to kind of like get everybody else spirits up. So uh, Detroit was Detroit was interesting. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, <laughs> I had I had to get a few in there. I said not too often I can talk about the positivities of Detroit with people. So I was hoping to be able yeah. to get something to lift the old spirits. <laughs> um so at the in the end of um 2010 you signed with the Giants and not long after signing with the Giants that's when the the NFL had their their lockout for a little bit Mm -hmm. um what if any impact did that have on your career or your your future uh aspirations man you know what I think New York was probably one of the best situations that I've ever been in I believe that was the first team to actually give me a chance to be a starter. And I was, the lockout for me, I think a lockout did me good because it got me, it gave me the opportunity to kind of work more so on my game. And when I got there, I was, you know, no offense to those guys, but I was in shape, you know, I was in more shape than like a lot of the starting secondary. So when I got there, I was ready to go. So, you know, I still like, I have the utmost respect for the New York Giant organization. I still get emails from the Giants, and it's true what they say. Once a Giant, always a Giant. They always keep in touch. Uh, they send us emails like every other week, seeing how we're doing, keep letting us know what other Giants players are doing, uh, former Giants players. Uh, we have reunions. We have another reunion in October, so they're bringing everybody back up to New York. <clears throat> so that's one of the best or if not the best organization, I think, in the NFL. But they definitely gave me a shot at being a starter, unfortunately. Like, the injuries kicked in, but I was definitely on my way. They definitely gave me an opportunity to be a starting quarterback in the NFL. And, uh, you know, sadly, you know, things didn't work out with my knee, but I was definitely on the way. I do believe that if I wouldn't have got hurt in New York, I would have definitely been a starting quarterback. Um, so you, you did mention that um... – at the end of the preseason in 2011, you did end up tearing your ACL. Um, can you mm-hmm. explain a little bit about what that the rehab process looks like during the season? Because we'll, we'll see on TV occasionally injured players will be on the sidelines at home games, but what is it like day-to-day as an injured player on the IR? Uh, you know, my best description of it is kind of irritating and it's irritating because you're coming in you're watching everybody else kind of you know 
in the locker room, going to meetings and, you know, going out to practice. Then you're watching them play on Sunday and you know that you're like, you could be out there playing. And like, man, you, you, you don't feel like you're a part of the team anymore. You're coming in, you're rehabbing. You're only talking to the trainers uh, for the most part of the day because when you come in, you see the guy, usually you get there before the guys get there because you have to be there early to start the rehab. And then, you know, you see the guys when they come in the, when they come in the training room while you're rehabbing and, you know, you know, getting ice down and things like that. But then, you know, you leave, you leave before practice sometimes and you like, you know, and you don't feel like you're a part of the team. It's kind of lonely mm-hmm. because you like to feel separated from everybody else. And, uh, that first year, man, I, and I thought about that. I was like, oh, you know, like out of sight, out of mind. So I was like, yo, I, I got to stay up here. I got to, you know, try to still go to meetings. And it just didn't feel the same, man. So eventually I just ended up leaving, going back to Florida and just rehabbing in Florida. And, you know, it just doesn't feel the same. It's very, it's kind of depressing, actually. I didn't come back to New York until uh, they they asked us to come back. Because the uh, they knew that I was going to go to the Super Bowl. So they was like, hey, come back. You know, we want all the players to come back, all the guys on IR to come back. And we're all we, we're all going to the Super Bowl. Oh, like, yeah. you know, like, you're still, like, you're a giant. Like, we're all still New York Giants. Like, every like they took everybody. The entire organization went. Everybody. Everybody got paid. Everybody got a Super Bowl ring. Like, everybody. From the so- janitor, like, everybody. <laughs> So before we get into the playoff run there, and obviously hinting at it, um, I guess some of the some of the guys that are on that team. It, it, it was kind of an interesting story. So the whole the whole thing of, of Tom Coughlin that year was was Finnish. It's it's pretty well known that his model was finished that year, uh, coming off of the tough the tough season they had beforehand there. Um, but man, like what Eli Manning arguably had his career year that year. Victor Cruz came out of nowhere after kind of a depleted uh, receiving core. Uh, and set the franchise record for receptions. Oh, you have uh, 1,500 yards on 82 receptions, I think. Then Hakeem Nix, yeah. they had like went from having a p- depleted receiving core and not knowing what was going to happen to all of a sudden just being studs. And the defensive defensive line was just scary. Like, was JPP yeah. and Justin Tuck, like, what like, what was being just around those guys, like, and, and being able to just, like, going from kind of a – an unfortunate season before and then and then Coughlin saying hey let's finish let's finish and then and then starting the season off hot there what, what can you tell me about that that team kind of getting on the run there was never any uh any panic in that locker room like I said if you go back and look at the preseason we had about seven guys that got hurt in the preseason um I tore my ACL Terrell Thomas tore his ACL um our middle star middle linebacker tore his ACL. <laughs> we had for sure three ACL tears. The rest of the guy, uh, Clint sent them like dislocated his kneecap. So we had about five to seven guys with like serious injuries. And it was just like, okay, next man up. Like nobody panicked. Um, everybody still played to the level of expectation. And like I said, I like doing rehab. I still saw the guys having fun, like being relaxed. And man, you know what? I'm glad you brought like Hakeem Nix and like Mario Manningham and Victor Cruz because I don't think those guys actually got enough credit. Like I don't think the receiving core for that particular team got enough credit. Uh, enough enough credit. Yo, we, Hakeem Nix was a good receiver. 
Oh, Mario yeah. Manningham was a good receiver. Like, Victor Cruz was a good receiver. I think we kind of had like a – I don't know. Like, I don't think nobody like really respected – Underappreciated. Uh, yeah, like we was very under – those guys were very underappreciated. Even like Ahmad Bradshaw, you know, was like very underappreciated. If you go back that season, man, he broke off like a million big runs. Um, so especially in the postseason, man, did he look good? Yeah, especially in the postseason. Um, you know, we just like, yo, know, I don't think if you go back and look at that season, man, like, yo, we played a, a played a lot of good ball. Um, <laughs> you know, it was just one of those things where, like, I think the league was changing. Like, it was more so offensive, so like teams were scoring a lot more points. So, you know, we just kind of got overlooked as not being, like, a very good defensive team. But like you said, you take a look at our D-line. We had, like, a serious rotation. Our secondary was still good. We had Antrell uh, Roll in, in, you know, in the background, Kenny Phillips. So a lot of people just kind of, like, like wiped the Giants off the board, you know, that, that particular year with all our injuries. But we still had, like, a very good team. So I think we were very unappreciated, like, very underappreciated that year. Yeah, making that stretch week 16 and 17. I'll, I'll talk about the Cowboys game there in a bit, but that week 16, I think, kind of was a little bit of excitement. What was that? What was that like for you, I guess, hearing all the media and the and the Jets running their mouth and Rex Ryan running his mouth, and then there was the beef between to between Revis and and uh Cruz, and it just seemed like there was a lot of hoopla coming in week 16, and it was a win. They needed to win, right? You guys needed to win 16, 17 to make the playoffs. So was that just added fuel to the fire or like, especially for you, like, like how, how was it like listening to that, listening to that on, on the, on the news and stuff like that? And what, what was the kind of the emotions? I actually can, I actually went back to New York for that game. So I was on the sideline. Uh, <laughs> when they covered up your guys' Super Bowl stuff on the walls, like there, there was some serious beef in week 16. Yeah, man, I actually, I went back up for that game and, um, you know, Hakeem and Darrell Rivas was talking noise to each other the entire game. Uh, like I said, Rex Ryan was talking noise, but that was the play where uh, Victor took that 95-yard, like, out, like, 95-yard, like, out, five-yard out run, took it 95 yards, and that that was it. You know, it was, like, that was a very uh, intense game. Um, Hakeem and Darrell Rivas talking noise to each other the entire game. I love when they pan to Victor after he goes, you're going to know my name now. Do you know my name now? Yeah. Yeah, I guess I got a little hot. Oh, there man. he goes. <laughs> Yo, Tom was even like hyped during that game. Like, I don't think a lot of people are like, even Coach Coffin was very like hyped, uh, you know, very into that game because he wanted to get to the playoffs bad. You know, he had like a point to prove. So that was a very intense uh, situation, a very intense game. It was very loud. Uh, it was fun being on the sideline during that game. I was talking to a, a good buddy of mine. He's a big time Giants fan. And, uh, and he was saying that, you know, what, what gets kind of thrown under the radar is that really the Giants played two extra playoff games than anybody else, because you, in the playoffs, it's win or go home, right? And, and you had two extra games that, that they needed to win there. And if you lost week 16, it's over. You lose week 17, it's over. And that week 17, a divisional game against the Cowboys, you win the division, you're going in the playoffs. And um, and end up beating the Cowboys 31-14, and now and now the boys are off off to the playoffs. Where it just seemed like at that point it was just gaining momentum, and every, and every, like you win, you're going on. You win, you're going on. And those are a couple big games, and, and you can, you can kind of see the momentum churning. Hey, like they're they're ready to go. So then the playoff stretch, the wild card game against the Falcons, give them a lick in 24-2. Divisional game against the Packers, the former Super Bowl champions, give them a lick in. 
And then you go and play the 49ers, who I think, like, when you look at that team, was unbelievable. And it, it ends up going to overtime. What was what was that game like? Like 20, 2017 overtime against arguably one of the best teams in the NFL that season. That was, yo, that was definitely, a, you, you know, you saw it. It was definitely a nail biter. Uh, I think I've seen, I've never seen so many guys praying on the sideline in my life. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it, it was a close game, man. Definitely an exciting game. Uh, definitely a lot of butterflies. You as you as a returner, what's what's it feel like being on the other side? He he botches the return and he gives you guys the field goal range. What what do you what's like? That's got to be heart wrenching, even as you as a returner, even though it's, it pushed you guys right to the Super Bowl. That's got to be a heart wrenching moment. Oh, you definitely got a feel for the guy, man. You know, him to, to for him to fumble that ball in that particular you know moment that could have just basically you know sealed their sealed their way to the Super Bowl. Yeah, uh, you definitely got to feel sorry for the guy, but hey, you know, his loss is your gain. <laughs> yeah, you know, it sucks to suck. Yeah, that's <laughs> what it is. So I'm gonna. I, I put my put myself down to talk about this, but I'm maybe gonna let Zach hit this off because uh, Zach's a big time Pats fan. So, so uh, we're gonna we're gonna force him to ask the question about, <laughs> about Tom Brady, Bill Belichick, Gronk, Hernandez, Welker, Ocho Cinco, like pretty good Pats team. Zero two that year against uh, against the Giants. Zach, maybe you wanna maybe you wanna ask him the question about how the Super Bowl went that game. So, playing the Pats in the Super Bowl. Um... What was the the feeling like in the locker room the the two weeks leading up to to the Super Bowl? Because there would have been a lot of players that were on that team from 07 that beat the Pats um, in the in the Super Bowl. So was there a lot of like veteran leadership, or where there's a lot of excitement amongst the players? Yeah, that's definitely when when Justin uh, Justin Tuck kind of took over in the locker room and, you know, just with everything, you know, Justin, you know, was kind of the leader of that group. And, you know, he just, you know, he, he kept saying this all the time. He was like, you know, you guys don't know what it feel like. He was like, I already got a Super Bowl ring. You know, you guys don't know what it feel like. He was like, but you know, I do. You know, we're playing the same team, you know, we're in the same situation. They're doubting us and saying we're going to lose. It's like, I've seen, like, we already, we've already, you know, defeated these guys and beat these guys. Same scenario, except for, you know, this time they're not 18 and up. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, uh, Justin, kind of, that's when Justin kind of took over. That's when you saw the leadership, you know, from Justin Tuck. And he definitely stayed on guys, kept guys focused that week. And, uh, you know, I just I just looked in awe. I was like, wow, you know, that's, you know, Justin is a real leader. You know, he's a stand-up guy, you know, um, just from being around him. But that's when he definitely showed uh, his character and leadership. Um, that team or that Patriot team had some of my favorite players on it. Like I had Brady, had Gronk, uh, had Welker, uh, Hernandez. I liked him. Um, and then they had some other, some pretty good role players like, like Kevin Falk, Danny Woodhead, uh, Julian Edelman wasn't really, you know, the, the Edelman that we know now, but he was up and coming at the time. Uh, do you can you let us in on any of like the game plan that you guys had for that offense? I mean, it's kind of the same game plan for the first Super Bowl, from what I was told. You know, just get to Brady. 
Pressure up the uh, middle, right? Yeah, pressure up the middle, you know, front get pressure with the front four, you know, kind of sit back and play and keep things tight in the secondary. And, you know, the guys, you know, they they kind of say like, hey, we're gonna get our job done up front. You guys just make sure you hold it down in the back on the back end. So uh that was pretty much the game plan from what I saw. And that's what happened. Like, you know, you saw it. The same thing, like the, you know, the Giants are Braves kryptonite. You know, <laughs> and you know if you kind if you kind of watch it, the, uh, if you watch football this past season, you saw Washington do the same thing to them in the playoffs. They just you know Washington just couldn't score. Yeah. Um. But yeah, like if when you're with man, anytime, and I think that's good. That's it applies to any particular offense. If if you can get pressure with your guys up front, like the four guys up front, doesn't matter how you do it, and you can win any football game. Well, just look at the Super Bowl this year. Um, I don't know the stat off the top of my head, but the Buccaneers produced like an insane amount of pressure with four man yeah, front. Exactly. So they let that's everybody else drop yeah. back. So, well, well, thank you for letting me unpeel that uh, that painful band aid. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like seeing that ball and like that that ball in the air? I, like you listen to interviews and guys say it's felt like that last Hail Mary was in the air for years. Like what, what was that final seconds like? Yo, he, almost, he, he almost caught that. Yeah. But y'all, yo, he almost caught it. Yeah. <laughs> like even when, right. Even like he almost caught it and he batted it down. I think it was Wes Welker was right in front of him. So like, if he would have like just hit it out a little farther, Wes would have caught it and walked in the end zone. So if you like go back and look at the the highlights from that game, like he batted it down, and I think like West was standing right there. If it went out a little further, he probably could have caught and just like ran in the end zone. So that uh, you, the final play finishes, the whistle blows. What was that uh, feeling of winning like? Like, can you describe that feeling for us? Yo, I was like, damn, I just won the Super Bowl. Like, I got. <laughs> And this, <laughs> I felt so bad for doing it because I was like, yo, why am I, why am I even doing this? But I was on cloud now. I, I think I posted on Instagram. I was like, yo, I said I got more rings than LeBron James. Because at the time, LeBron James hadn't won the Super Bowl yet. He hadn't won the uh, NBA championship yet. So I was like, oh, I got more rings than LeBron James. But, uh, <laughs> yo, the confetti came down. Yo, it was, it was, it was wild. It was, it was fun. It was amazing. I was like, yo, I'm a part of, I'm a part of NFL history now. You know, I got a Super Bowl ring, so it was, it was great. It was fun. It was, it was unbelievable. I said, I'm thankful to this day. Um, you know, that, that bad boy is locked up. So, <laughs> uh, man, that was fun. That was a good time, man. I definitely, uh, that's something I remember for the rest of my life. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's unbelievable. Um, so how was, I, I guess, uh, the whole experience, like you, like you said, getting, getting the ring that, that's like going from UDF, well, not even going, even going back, going from not even playing high school football for a year, going UDFA and then winning the Super Bowl. Like, like you said, that's, that's a dream come true. I mean, like, that's pretty, like, that's gotta be your favorite moments your entire life. Like, uh, favorite moment. Man. I mean, it was definitely one that that I'll never forget. It's definitely uh, probably number two. Um, yeah. I'll say my 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 best my best moment at my best moment uh, in my entire life is. I guess it would be kind of cliche, but it was me getting like my college my college degree. 
because uh, I was the first uh, male in my family to to get a college degree. So that would probably be it. Would probably be that then the Super Bowl. Oh, that's yeah, that's that's a good one. Actually, you know, myself, I'm the I just kind of piecing together. I, I you say it's cliche, but I I, I can't say it is too much because I'm the first person in my family to get a degree too, and it's it's a very yeah. humbling experience. Like for the, the your family and, and people surround you and it's a very humbling experience to say that you're the, you're the first person in your family to, to achieve something that high. Yeah. It may sound a little cliche, but it, it, it is a very yeah. experience. Like it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, so um, that, would, that would be number one. We, we kind of glossed over this, but uh, what is your degree in and what kind of made you choose that direction for your schooling? Uh, so, uh, my undergrad degree or my bachelor's in history, I have a master's in public policy and I have a graduate certification in public administration. History was always my favorite. It was history and science. Those are my two favorite subjects in like in elementary school, high school. I always did the best in those. Like I read a lot. So I'm definitely kind of like a bookworm when it comes to, you know, finding out information. I like information. Um, so after the Super Bowl in the spring of 2012, you're back with the Giants, and unfortunately, you you re-injure your your ACL. After after re-injuring that ACL for the second time, what's going through your mind? Uh, I was like, "Yo, I'm done." Actually, I was I was like, "Yo, I'm done. I'm probably done." Uh, like I came back. <laughs> Even before that in training camp, oh, it was OTAs. I came back OTAs. I still didn't really feel like myself. Um, and I tore it again. I was like, you know what? I said, this is probably it. You know, I'm probably done. I need to start, like, thinking about life after football. And that's what I kind of started to focus on. But the weird thing about this, man, is that, like, Winnipeg, like the Blue Bombers, like, when I came out of college, they had my rights. So... <laughs> Um, they had been trying to get me to come to the CFL for the longest. And I agreed to a contract to come to the CFL and play for the Bombers. But I turned it down the last minute. I decided not to come. And what's crazy, like, five years later, I ended up moving to Winnipeg. <laughs> so. <laughs> so what is that like um, with the CFL? Um, like, they – they basically just acquire your, your negotiation rights. And then are they just sending you like you up texts whenever or <laughs> you up yeah, texts? You up text. <laughs> like, what oh, is that know, like? Man. Uh, so they got in touch with my agent. They was like, Hey, you know, is, 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 is Brian still playing? Like, does he still want to play? And, uh, you know, my agent was like, yeah, you know, he still wants to play. Um, but, you know, we're just kind of waiting to see what's going to happen. And um, like I said, they offered me the contract, but then I was like, uh, you know what? I'm okay. You know, it's fine. Like, I don't want to play anymore. Like, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I think I'm just going to go ahead and shut it down. And and that's what happened, man. I just I shut it down after that. I was like. So looking back on your, your career, uh, 30 games over the course of three seasons, uh, capping it off with that Super Bowl victory. Um, aside from that victory, though, what is your your favorite uh, memory from your NFL career? That's a tough one, man. 
like I said, you know, just being invited to camp, having the opportunity to kind of, you know, make a team. It was that that was definitely surreal. So when I actually got in the NFL environment, you know, like I said, being from Butler, Alabama, I was like, shit, you know, like this is it. You know what I'm saying? So that probably like just looking at that, just taking that, you know, coming from where I come from, it's just like, yo, like I'm I'm walking into like this huge stadium, like I'm, you know, getting all this this gear, like I'm really here and I mean, the coaching staff, I think when I had my first NFL like team meeting, I saw Jack Del Rio walk in. And I was like, shit, he's big. I was like, he played linebacker. <laughs> you know, I was like, shit, I was like, yo, this is, I'm in the league. Yo, this is like, this is cool. So um, I think like that first, that first meeting, that was probably, that was the best one because, you know, that's when like you realize that you're there. So especially being well from, you know, and like I said, I didn't even play ball my junior year. And, you know, football was never my, like my first love. Like I love baseball and stuff like that. It was, uh, that was very surreal. And I think that was, you know, you never forget your first, right? So <laughs> that's what. It's <laughs> a pretty good answer. Yeah, that's, that's uh, <laughs> that was it. You know, like that was my, probably my favorite memory. Like that was it. And just walking around seeing guys that you watched on TV. Like you just I was just watching those guys on TV like a year earlier. And I'm like, yo, I'm in the same rock and roll with them now. So right. So after you retired from football, you then went into to become a full time track and field sprinter. Was that a pretty quick decision or what was the kind of decision making process there? Uh, it wasn't it wasn't a quick decision. Um, because I was just gonna get, you know, just kind of get back and just start, you know, try to get into corporate America. Um, but uh, before I actually went to play um, football at the college, I was going to try, I was going to try and run track professionally. Like I had the qualifying times. If you go back and look at my times from my senior year, I qualified for the U.S. I qualified for the Olympic trials. I just never went. So <laughs> Um, that was why I was going to go to the Olympic trials and try to, you know, run track and field professionally then and like, you know, try to make the Olympic team. But if I didn't make the Olympic team, like, yo, I just, you know, I, I ran the times to qualify for the Olympic trials. I'm going I'm to go. Maybe I could, you know, earn a sponsorship from Nike or Adidas or somebody, but end up, you know, choosing to play football. So I said, you know what, let me go get this thing a try. You know, I'm still pretty young. I'm still, I was 27 at the time. So I was like, yeah, let me see what I can do. Do you feel like uh, after the ACL injuries, you still had the, the same speed you had before them? Oh, man, what's crazy? I got faster after I huh. tore my ACL. <laughs> I should try it. <laughs> weird. Yeah, I got faster, bro. That's wild. Which is weird. Yeah. Yeah. Those PB numbers are incredible. Like I was looking at some of the Olympic numbers from like when you're qualifying and some of the numbers that would like, you're not far off. Like those PBs are unbelievable. Like 10, 10, two, yeah. two and, and 26, six for the 100 and the 200. Like those are, those are some yeah. numbers. Yeah, man, I got faster. Cause like when I was done, I think I ran 10 trials after I was done playing ball. I ran 10, 20, Two? Yeah, ten. I ran like a tenth of a second faster than I ran in college. <laughs> so, I, 
<laughs> so I was like, oh, okay, I guess the rehab worked, you know? <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> and then uh, the transition from training for sprinting compared to football, what was that uh, transition like? Was it hard to kind of change your mindset after training a certain way for so long? Yeah, it was pretty tough. Because, um, you know, in college, I, I played football, then went out and ran a track, but I was kind of just like, you know, not taking it serious. But, you know, like when I went back for to run track professionally, I was like, whew, like this is really tough. Like, I don't know if I, you know, want to do this or not, but, you know, I stuck with it. And, yeah, you know, the, the diet was different. Like, I, I couldn't lift as, as many weights. I had to be – I had to lose weight. I think I went from – I was already small when I was playing football. So I, was, I went from, like, 172 to one, – from 172 to 175 to, like, 160. Oh, wow. I lost, I lost a bunch of weight, you know, to try to get my body back in, like, track and field shape. So it, it was pretty tough. So then everything after the, like the entire playing career, the, the sprinting career, everything, uh, everything kind of came full circle here. So what's, uh, what's, what's life after football now for you? What, what, what kind of keeps you busy now? I guess family life, work life, what keeps you busy? So man, I'm working in pharmaceuticals now. So I actually work for AstraZeneca. Um, some of I work, I'm a respiratory specialist. So I work with asthmatic and uh, COPD patients. You know, I have a son. Um, you know, my son is is my world. Um, I love my son to death. Like, uh, so he's, you know, my main focus now. So that's what keeps me busy. And, you know, like I said, I love my fancy football, man. And, you know, fantasy yeah, the, baseball. I mentioned the FanDuel. Like, let's uh, keeps you busy. Talking about working for FanDuel. Give us, give us that story. Uh, yeah. So they actually they did an NFL fellowship program, and I got chosen for the program. I actually I worked there for about twelve months. That's when they had the whole you know fantasy sports got shut down because the mayor of New York was mad because you know they wouldn't pay taxes and stuff. So they laid a bunch of us off. Like, unfortunately, I got laid off. But I, I used to write the content. So I was writing like, hey, this is who you should pick. This is why you should pick them. So I was like a writer. So I was writing like the actual like week daily, like the, you know, DFS mat, like matchups. Like saying like, hey, you should choose this particular receiver this week or, you know, quarterback. And man, I was actually, I think I want a lot of people. I think I want a lot of people some money. <laughs> I was working there, <laughs> uh, but it was fun. Like we did the whole draft thing. Uh, the mock drafts, and I worked with a lot of guys from Bleacher Report. Yeah, that's the dream. I got a chance to, yeah, I got a chance to work with – they actually tried to get me to come up. Like, one of the guys called me was like, yeah, man, like, we saw your resume, and, um, you know, Chris would love for you to come up. We want you to move to New York, though. And I was like, nah, man, I ain't moving to New York. Like, I'm in Orlando. Like, I'm good. Like, you know, <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I like staying – I want to live in Florida. I want to live in New York like that. But, um, but yeah, so I ended up going, but – yeah, I worked there for like 12 months. It was fun. Like that was my first time being like the fantasy football world. And ever since then, I, I never even knew what fantasy, fantasy sports was until I worked at FanDuel. Like I didn't play. I had no intentions of like learning, like learning how it worked. So I mean, what the fuck is fantasy sports? Like, I was like, I was like, like, this is stupid. Like, I was like, yo, this is dumb. But like, when I actually started like working there, I was like, yo, this is pretty fun. This is dope. So now I'm like a huge fantasy guy. So 
back when you played for Jacksonville, you played with uh, Maurice Jones-Drew. And by all accounts, uh, Maurice Jones-Drew is a big, big fan of fantasy football. Um, so maybe not for you, but what is fantasy football like inside a NFL locker room? Do you guys have like a league within the team that different players participate in or? Man, like I said, like, you know, like I just, I've never paid attention to it. So I couldn't even, t- <laughs> like I, I couldn't even tell you, like, you know, like, you know, when I was done, I, I still, you know, talked to some of the guys who played, man, they didn't care. Like when you guys, like, you know, not you guys specifically, but like when fancy players are getting mad at them and like, yo, man, you, you, you know, you, you, could have got me five more yards, I would have won. Like, oh, God, like, man, fuck y'all. Like, nobody, like, yo, care about your fantasy team? Like, <laughs> I, I, I've seen from, I've seen from both sides. Like, it's like Juju Smith-Schuster, like, he, he's big time fantasy. He, he does his own teams. Yeah. But then there's the other side where there's, like, you've seen lots of reports of guys that have become quite critical on Twitter and, and Instagram and guys saying, like, basically, like, kick rocks. Like, we don't give a shit about your fantasy team. Like we're out here trying to make yeah. money. We're here trying to make play our play our game. We're trying to make our careers. We don't give a shit about your fantasy team. Like, so I, I it probably more of the latter end of that. I guess it's probably what you saw a little bit more was the, was the secondary. I guess. Yeah, I saw that. I saw that particularly because I don't think when I was I don't think guys were really into fantasy sports. I don't think it was as big back then as it is now. Um, so yeah, I didn't I didn't get the whole the juju you know, Schuster part, you know, when they're like, oh yeah, I got you, bro. Like, you know, I'm gonna make sure your fancy team win. When I was playing, it was like, man, get out of here with that. Yeah. Cause like I said, I didn't even, I didn't even look at that stuff. So I was like. So I guess I, going in, so I have two questions. One of them is, one of them is Armin's. Uh, so I'm going to ask from a non-fantasy side and then Armin's is a fantasy side. So who's one of your favorite NFL players to watch? Like just watching the game and then Armin's is maybe one of the ones where it's one of your favorite fantasy players man so my favorite player I ever like watched like play was like obviously you know it was Jerry Rice um which is weird because I'm a DB but like I always wanted to be like Jerry Rice um but you talk about like like now in today's game man it was a lot like I was a huge fan of Le'Veon Bell when he was on Pittsburgh. So that was my guy. Um, Carlos Hyde was a good guy. Like, you know, for like Armin's question, like fantasy-wise, like Carlos Hyde came through like every week. I think he was underappreciated as a fantasy guy. Um, like Antonio Brown, obviously. Uh, definitely a, a good uh, big-time player. Uh <laughs> Yo, man, I hated watching Tom Brady, man. Like he, cause it was like, cause it was like, not like hating him in the sense of, I don't like him as a player, but it's like, yo, you know he about to win. So <laughs> it kind of got repetitive. So it's like, yo, you're, like you like, tweeted that you're cheering for him in the Super Bowl. How come you're cheering for for TB12 there? I I was I was surprised when I saw that. You always want to see, you know, you want to see some, you know, you want to see guys make history. You know, that's, you know, that's, that's just a part of the game. You got, I guess I respect Tom Brady a lot. Like, in my opinion now, he's the GOAT. You know, he's just the greatest QB of all time. Like, he's the GOAT. Um, but, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, my favorite fantasy player, though, I would say right now, I'm going to have to say a guy that, like, you go, that's going to guarantee you and, you know, and get you points every week is probably Patrick Mahomes. Like guarantee, like every like at least twenty points every week, like guaranteed. 
then that's his bad weeks. <laughs> yeah, this is bad. Week. Yeah, so like you know, Patrick Mahomes. Uh, I was I used to be a big Drew Brees guy, and fantasy, but not anymore. But like, yeah, I would say Patrick Mahomes. Bro. Okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna wrap her up here with a couple rapid fire questions for you. Okay, so first question: favorite teammate ever? Man, you know what? Um, that's my friend now, so Isaiah Gardner, like my friend in Jacksonville. So yeah. Isaiah, Isaiah, yeah, Isaiah. Um, best or most talented player you've ever shared the field with? Without a doubt, Rasheem Mathis. That's, Without a doubt. Yeah. Without a doubt. <laughs> um, favorite meal? Shit, man, probably some uh, chitlins, hot sauce, like chitlins with drenched in hot sauce and pepper. Oh yeah. Um, okay, we already. <laughs> I was going to say non-favorite football moment, but you already said that was getting your degree. Uh, favorite thing about Saskatchewan? Favorite thing about Saskatchewan? Uh, Saskatchewan has great food. Yeah. I think the food is good. Yeah. Way great underrated. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, some of those places Very downtown underrated. are unreal. Uh, I guess this is the last question here I have. Um, who do you think is the best player in the NFL right now? Got to go Tom Brady, man. Until somebody dethrones the guy. He's the GOAT. Tom Brady, man. Yeah, Zach, Brady. Until, Zach, someone, until he leaves, man. Like Tom Brady, I, I can't even hate on dude anymore, man. Like yo, Tom Brady. Zach's got a shit-eating grin on his face over there. Yeah. <laughs> I knew I liked this guy. He's <laughs> uh, that's that's all I got, fellas. Any uh, any last couple questions for him from your guys' side? Uh, what's the worst decision you ever made in fantasy football? Worst decision. Uh, I think I picked. I remember this. I think I picked Ezekiel Elliott over. In my opinion, I think I picked Ezekiel Elliott over Michael Thomas the year he had like a hundred catches. Yeah, he set set the set the. <laughs> Was it the record for receptions that season? Yeah, and I think that was the year like Ezekiel Elliott didn't play. Like I still drafted him. I still drafted him anyway, <laughs> thinking that he was going to play. Yeah, yeah that's a, that was a tough one for a lot of people spending the high draft equity on a yeah. player. That, so I, I got good. him, you know, because I think he only played with like seven games that season. Yeah, yeah. thinking he was going to come back. Yeah, that's better than Powell in the first round. <laughs> a guy in our fan, a guy in our work league took Blau Powell. I think it was in the second round. He's a huge Jets fan, so he's like, "Yeah, Blau Powell." We're like, "Oh my god, it's probably the worst draft pick I've ever seen." <laughs> just, just fed his fan. You should just tell him to get out the league because we know you can't play. <laughs> Is that the principal? <laughs> yeah, like, he, was, uh, he was our he was our principal. We're, we're all teachers, so he's in our work league. He's our he's our principal, and he's like, "Yeah, Blau Powell, second round. Here's my donation." <laughs> I'm like, yeah, we know you can't play. Just yeah, like, get out. Yeah, like, get out. <laughs> oh, man. It was, uh, yeah, it's still an ongoing uh, good joke and get a laugh out of for that one. Well, I don't know, fellas. That um, that was, uh, oh, it was, that was unreal. For our first interview, uh, I, I definitely wouldn't have, wouldn't want to have it any other way there. I was, I'm, I'm real happy with how it went. Obviously, really happy having you on, Brian, to be able to tell your story. And, and obviously, now living in Saskatchewan. So we got that little Saskatchewan connection there. I mean, Saskatchewan connection, real happy you didn't play for the Blue Bombers there because it <laughs> yeah. could have went ugly for us. But uh, I, I don't know. I, I'm really appreciative for you having us, having uh, coming on for us. And 
and next time we're in Saskatoon, might have to get together and have a beer and watch uh, watch one of those watch one of those games with you or something. Next time, next yeah, time. Yeah, man, I'm uh, I'm at Cathedral Social Hall a lot, man. That's that's my spot. So, uh, good spot. Me and the, me and the, yeah, me and the GM, we're we're cool. Like we're we're uh, pretty good friends. So I go there and chill with Patrick a lot, and that's all we talk about is football. So yeah. Come come football season, we have to make our way down there and uh, and have a couple pops on a Sunday and and catch some football. Yeah, man, definitely. Yeah, don't. Don't be shy about hitting me up, man. Like, I'm I'm not doing anything. I'm just chilling. So just, yeah, hit me up. <laughs> right on. Well, I appreciate that. Thanks again for coming on, you guys. Uh, everybody, that's uh, Brian Witherspoon. Thanks again for coming on. That's our very first 306 Fantasy Football interview. All right. So, obviously, want to send a big thanks again to Brian Witherspoon. Obviously, uh, first interview we've had. And uh, it's going to be hard to top that one. A Super Bowl champion coming on to our, our podcast. But, uh, obviously, big thanks to him. Uh, I, I personally, I love the story about how they just used to uh, roll Alabama across the street there, <laughs> seven on seven. It's like, yeah, you don't hear that too often that uh, that a Div two college is rolling in and and giving a, a perennial house a licking and a little little seven on seven. But yeah, that was uh, that was a good injury, fellas. Yeah, you know, and that's on the lighter side. It it kind of like got me in the feels when he was talking about his ACL there. Um, especially with the Giants, and I was like, "Oh, I feel for you, man," because like you could tell, like that was a little, little bit harder for him to talk about. Yeah. Wow, I appreciate him sharing that. He made it a super easy interview for us too. Yeah, he was easy to talk to. Um, I found it interesting how at the start of the interview he was talking about his his high school experience, um, how he was a a baseball guy first. He liked football didn't love football picked it up a little bit and later on in high school so um i just found that surprising uh obviously um not everybody is you know football through and through and it was nice seeing that multi-sport athlete um and it worked out for him so happy for him that he's had uh the opportunities that he's had um thought it was very neat that he (laughs) was uh, attempting to qualify for the U.S. Olympic team <laughs> despite yeah. two ACL tears. Well, yeah, and getting faster off those ACL tears. Like, <laughs> yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. Well, I'll definitely have to uh, come season there. Uh, we'll have to go sneak down to Saskatoon and watch a little Sunday football and have a beverage or two with him and be able to talk, be able to talk football. Because, man, I, I just – I imagine that's just kind of just opening the door a bit. This, some of the stories he could he could tell – and some of the stories he could share from his football experiences, I can only imagine uh, going from obviously back from the high school stuff all the way to the, the track and field. Like you, like you mentioned, pretty interesting guy and obviously definitely definitely a lot to share. So I was very, very appreciative of him coming on to do that. And we'll definitely have to sneak our way down to Saskatoon come <laughs> come season. And I got to check the schedule. I, I don't know. Um, I got to see if Vikings or Lions – they would have the similar schedule if they if they see the Giants at all this year. But Zach, do you know the Pats? Pats see the Giants at all? I'm trying to think who their NFC opponents are. Um, I can't remember at the top of my head. But I'm thinking yeah. if if we can get one of those matchups, that might be the one to try and sneak down for. Because you know, like right. you said, once a Giant, always a Giant. Yeah. Um, any any last couple of comments here, fellas, before we wrap this thing up? No, nothing. It was a- that was a fun episode. Yeah. Again, like always, let's keep the good times rolling. Yeah, a little bit different, but uh, definitely enjoyed that one. So uh, once again, fellas, 
thanks again for jumping on. Big thank you to Zach, obviously, for coming back and and, and trifecting this uh, this podcast. <laughs> and we're we're rolling now. So Woo. like like subscribe, share our accounts on on podcast platforms, YouTube, and obviously our social media accounts as well. And uh, thanks again for listening. And stay tuned for episode number nine coming in soon. Have a good one.